The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. This is Wednesday's show, which means it's a pew, 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 Brady Quinn football show. Will Brinson here, host of the Daily NFL Podcast. Brady with us in Fort Lauderdale. Ryan Wilson, of course. Happy 2020, man. I'm not sure how long you can actually say that or use that. Like, is there a statute of limitations on that? Like, how? when should you stop saying Happy New Year to people? I think the 10th. So I think you're good. This is January 8th. Why the 10th? You know what? I said, we talked about this on a previous show. Like, I don't mind. So, like, you know, we do this podcast for an hour a week every Tuesday. Every well, this podcast, but the Pick Six podcast is daily, even double daily. There's emergency pods, which right. I'll take attention with later. But we can talk about that in a minute. My point being is that if you work closely with somebody, like I feel like we all work closely together. You spend an hour talking to each other over Skype and hang out in person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you don't see that person until the fifteenth, no problem with the Happy New Year. You know what I mean? Like if you have to be out of the office, you're on vacation, you're in Cabo, and you want to you want to stretch it that far, that's fine. I personally prefer the week of the new year. Can I go a step further? And I'd love to get Ryan away in on this because I think a week's good. If you don't talk to someone like in 15 days, like two weeks, uh, that's probably not a great relationship. And so <laughs> if you even say happy new year to that person, you probably don't really mean it. Ryan, do you agree? Yeah. And I feel like even if you do know that person, you see them frequently and you just forgot to say it by the 15th, it's a wrap. Like I'm going to be out of town for two weeks. If I happen to be out of town from the first until the 15th, the first thing I say when I get home, it's not going to be Happy New Year. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> you, got, you got four to seven days. Say Happy New Year or don't. We know it's 2020. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Okay, but just to be clear, Brady's the one who said Happy New Year on the 7th. Because it's my first time. It's my first time coming back on the show since you put me in exile after, I don't know what we were talking about the last time, Brinson suck, sucks hats or something. I can't remember. Brady gets it. Uh, he had fired. And nobody had gotten fired the last time we talked. Well, what happened was, so this year was, this year was pleasant in terms of NFL scheduling around the holidays. For instance, last year, I believe Brady and I had to spend New Year, Christmas Eve talking to each other about the Broncos and the Raiders. Um, and <laughs> some of us still worked Christmas Day. I came in and did some stuff. So, right. That's what I'm saying. Like this, this year, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve were in the middle of the week. So were New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So it's like we, it, that's that's how you end up. They were both on Tuesdays, I believe, so that's how we ended up not doing the show. 
the Brady Quinn football show for two straight weeks. So I, 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 would even, I still work though, Will. That's what I'm trying to tell you is I still work those days. You might have gotten and, them off. I still worked. And what I'm telling you is we still had podcasts. They just didn't make you do this podcast. Right. Which I would have. I'm just telling you, I would have done them, but I don't know. we were told you, we were told you refused to. That's what we no, were told. No, no, no. That is Pete Prisco, who, <laughs> to, uh, mark my words, okay? He will not work any New Year's Day. He needs his New Year's Day. He must have his New Year's Day. Even if Jason Garrett got fired on New Year's Day, he was not coming into work. I sat there with my own eyes and ears and listened to him bitch and complain about that forever. So that that guy does not like working on New Year's Day. See, you'd think it would be New Year's Day, but it's not really New Year's Day because he didn't work. Uh, we were recording this on Tuesday, January 7th. Two coaches got hired on January 7th. He didn't work January 7th either. He kept texting uh, producers and people. He's like, I'm at the eye doctor. Is something wrong with my eye? I'm working too hard. My eye hurts. He worked today. He worked today. I was in there with him. Believe me, we, oh, we argued, and, and then we shot holes in Ryan Wilson's mock draft, even though he's done everything to actually satisfy Pete and I on what we've requested for the past five mock drafts. Mm. Shame. Yeah, my first half show with Brady and Pete, and they spent 25 minutes dunking on me. So that's that's where I'm. At. <laughs> well, welcome to welcome to life working with Brady and Pete. Um, we will get to your mock draft after the break. We also talk about Tua Tua T Tongavaloa. Uh, there we go. That was now good. That, that was good. Now that he's pro, I got to get this thing down. Uh, we'll talk about that. We will talk about some coaching hires as well. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about in the NFL. Hate the Taysom Hill trend. We'll get to that. But first. We have to get, I, I've been talking about this when I do, I did a couple of radio appearances and be, like since, since Sunday night, I guess people are like, Hey, like, yeah, tell us what's going on with the podcast. I'm like, well, we are about to have the best 10 to 15 minutes of the podcast all year because I'm going to get Brady Quinn on the phone and we're going to find out what he thinks about Mike McCarthy sleeping over at Jerry Jones's house before sealing the deal in Dallas. Cause like, this is your wheelhouse, man. I got yeah. questions. I got yeah. lots of questions about this. Was okay. I mean, I'm just gonna throw some stuff out, and then I'm gonna let you run with it. And Ryan, feel free to jump in and run with it as well. But like, do you was this planned out ahead of time? Are you like, hey, Mike, why don't you come to Dallas and spend the night at our house? Um, you know, do you go out for tacos and like night or like a steak with Chihuahua cheese at Javier's? Do you have somebody cook in the house? Are you up until? 2 a.m. like slamming Johnny Walker blue and talking, telling like football tales. Do you, what do you do in the morning? Cause you can't sleep in. You can't be like woke, like, Hey, uh, Mike's still asleep. It's like 9 a.m. Like, are you up at 4 a.m. like in the kitchen grinding on tape? Like, Oh, Jerry, sorry. I didn't, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm so shocked. I just get up early looking at some tape. Do you, do you sleep in your normal gear? Do you, do you bring PJs? I got, I got so many questions. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I don't really think anyone knows exactly how. A, a sleepover like this plays itself out um, be, because you don't go into it with a plan. You know, you just got to roll with the punches. And maybe that's part of the interview process for Jerry Jones, right? Like him him having candidates sleep over at his house, and if he likes them enough, he ends up making them the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Like I always wonder, like, okay, at some point where there's that, like pillow talk where they kind of lay in there like, so <laughs> like what do you what do you think you're going to do with Dak? And Jerry's like, well, I'm going to extend them. He's like, Okay, yeah, all right. I'm just trying to figure out like who my quarterback's going to be for a while. And then Jerry's like, "Well, yeah, he's going to be your quarterback for a while, and we've got to figure out like Amari Cooper and and Byron Jones. Like, what do you think about those guys?" And then you know, Mike's like, "Well, I, I like those guys. You know, like I think 
Byron didn't have as good of a year this year, but he's definitely a staple on defense. And, you know, Amari Cooper, I don't know. You know, maybe we could figure out someone in the draft, but, you know, we've got to have a number one. He's our number one. He's been really productive with Dak. And, you know, so maybe there's some pillow talk. Uh, I would think, you know, given Mike McCarthy, like knowing who he is, they definitely had to slam some beers at some point. Yeah. Uh, was there tacos involved? I don't know, but definitely a private chef. Look, if you're Jerry Jones and you're a baller, there is no way, no way, you are letting some cook who works at a restaurant like touch anything that you eat. Like anyone who touches the food you eat, you're probably having them taste it to make sure it's not poisonous or not going to kill you or it's not going to, you know, there's not food poisoning or it's undercooked. That's the first thing. And then the next thing is, is like they're probably living at your chateau too. Like we're playing on this scenario that like Mike and Jerry are hanging out. There's a chance that like Mike was somewhere in the like west wing of this gigantic monstrosity sure. that Jerry Jones lives in and has to take a golf cart just to get back over to actually hang out with Jerry on the other side of the entire compound. So uh, those are probably staples along the whole thing. I also think that part of being the you know being able to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys since you're in the state of Texas, you're most likely going to have to get hammered and ride a mechanical bull. Uh, and so that most likely took place at some point in time uh, at the Chateau of Jerry Jones or Compound, whichever you want to call it. Uh, and then there might even be a given you're in Texas. There may even be like a predator hunt at night. So you go out there with like the night vision or like the thermal scopes on the guns just to be able to prove that you've got that killer instinct told Jerry. All those things, I think, took place that night. And you're right. Uh, you really can't say like sleeping in because I don't think you sleep at all. I think you're just staying up the whole night hanging out with Jared Jones. Okay, so what if it was like he's actually got Jason Garrett in like the backyard and he hands you a rifle and like you ha- he's like I'm, I'm afraid Mike I need you to pull this trigger and you're like what, seriously and he's like Mike I can't hire you and give you a hundred million dollars unless you pull the trigger and you pull the trigger he's like it's full of blanks but it was a test and you have passed uh, Ryan you you loathe encounters with other humans awkward situations. Um, uh. if you were, if you were Mike McCarthy, would you like, I guess what I'm wondering is, did, do you think that Mike McCarthy knew he was spending the night when he got on the plane to fly to Dallas? Or do you think like, was the contract done when, or did they bang out the contract? And Jerry's like, what a great time. Let's, let's, we, you got this deal done. Let's just hang out and stay here. And you're like, okay, sure. I'll just like, do you have extra clothes? Like, I don't know. There's a, there's a whole lot of mechanics here that, that, that terrify me terrifyingly my first thought would be okay taking a lot of emodium no poops because if i poop in that house and talk, clog up the toilet we got a whole big issue going on here so you know meanwhile jason garrett's in the other wing doing upper deckers so who knows it evens out i suppose <laughs> who, well yeah who was, so that's your first who was like the the i don't know if it was a prime minister or leader of a country was it kim jong-un who brings his own toilet and his own porta john with him when he travels <laughs> out of north korea maybe it was like one of those situations where it was like ah no, we've got a portal it for you outside. <laughs> you bring your own accommodations for that. Why are you in the woods? Don't worry about it. I'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> also, yes, like, that, well, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that. And um, it is a weird situation. Um, I got some bad news for you guys, though. I don't know if you want to hear it. Todd Archer of ESPN wrote uh, today, I think, in ESPN on, on, um, on Tuesday that, let's see here, Mike McCarthy Stayed at Frisco's Omni Hotel. He did not stay at Jerry's house. So that's sort of due to the whole story we're telling. What do you got there? That, yeah, he had a room there. That's not where he what? stayed, if you right. know what I mean. 
No, see, I said that's what I said. I said what what probably happened is they fly Mike McCarthy into Dallas or fly him into Frisco, whatever it is. You fly him in there and you're like, Mike, hey, listen, bring your suitcase. You fly him into Dallas, like, bring your suitcase. You're packing in. We're going to show you around the star. We're going to do some interviews, let you meet with Will McClay, let you meet with Steven, meet with me. You know, so I'm not doing a good job. You're going to stay here in Frisco, man, the stars. We got this nice hotel. We got steak. They're going to kill it. They're going to butcher it right yeah. there in front of you. Then they'll throw it yeah. on the grill and cook it. So that's my theory is that it went so well. And like, they were like, this is going to happen. Why don't you come back to my house? We'll make an, an awesome dinner. You can crash there. You don't have to stay here at the thing. You're part of the family now. Come stay at the Jerry Jones compound. Like the deal had to be signed to make this done. Now, what gets awkward is if you get back there, and Jerry. Talk. No, but, but then Jerry's like, you're like, yeah, like where am I? Am I staying in the guest room? Or you like, he's like, no, come with us. And like he has like an inflatable mattress in the corner of it. Like like there's a dog bed and then an inflatable mattress. Or bunk beds. But, or bunk beds for you, but like in his bedroom. It's like you have to sleep at the foot of his bed on an inflatable mattress. That's where it gets really awkward. So Todd Archer did write, uh, before anybody noticed, his interview had lasted well past midnight, which could lead one to believe that he ain't driving to the hotel at 1 a.m. to go sleep in the bed, although Archer actually says that. And the way you guys are describing this, and this is going to sound, I have a penchant of leaning towards uh, like dark. It sounds like the movie Get Out, where like, all right, come to our fantastic house. You'll have a fun time. Don't worry about it. Oh, don't worry about that trap door. Uh, th- don't worry how this ends. Down there in the trap door, of course, is uh, Jason Garrett trying to skate. But uh, (laughs) Chan Gailey and Jason Garrett, like nobody's seen Parcells in years. What about Campo? Where's Campo? (laughs) He's actually at USC right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Chan Gailey's in Miami too, so it's not um, okay. Well, Jason Garrett. Let's move on. Nobody's seen Jason Garrett. We'll 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 talk a little bit about that. Um, So Matt Rule hired by the Panthers, by Carolina Panthers. Um, Yeah, how do you feel about that? I like it. I like it. I, I be, you know, I'm, well, you know, we were going to ask what to do with the Browns and the trend of these hires, but I am curious what you think about um, Matt Rule because you're, you're, you have done a lot of Big Twelve games, right? Yeah, ironically, I've never done one with Matt Rule. Now, <laughs> I've obviously come to know him in passing and just some different things where we've run into each other. Uh, studied a lot of the film from opponents who had played him that I was preparing for. Um, look, he. He's a great coach, a great leader of men. He develops young men. And, and you could see that at Temple. You could see that at Baylor. Um, the difficulty is in the NFL is to some degree you're kind of required to do that. But, you know, really it's it's more about scheme. It's more about, you know, how you find edges within the talent that you have because most teams have a lot of talent, whether they're household names or not in the NFL. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, though, especially when you watched it at Baylor this past year was – they were a very sound football team, and this wasn't a team that necessarily could recruit either at Baylor or even at Temple with the likes of some of the top you know, uh, teams within that conference. And so they had to play sound football. It couldn't be penalized much. They couldn't turn the football over. They had to play very, very tough, stingy defense, and they did all of those things. So I think his experience with that and giving his past NFL uh, coaching experience, he understands what it takes and I think he could make that happen at, at every level. It just is going to take time. And I think that's what you see that David Tepper did. He gave him a seven year, $62.5 million contract up to $70 million with incentives, um, for what I've seen recently. Okay. So you, in other words, I mean, this is a perfectly fair take on it. And I think this is what everybody should have a take on. It. It's like, you like the hire. He fits the bill for what the Panthers need, but you don't actually know if he could, if it's going to work out because, you know what? We never know if coaches are going to work out. There's never a guarantee a coach is going to work out. No, I mean, wouldn't you think Nick Saban would have worked out? 
I mean, I, I would have thought that. I would have thought when he went to the Dolphins, you know, things would have went right. Obviously, they didn't. A lot of things went wrong. Um, you know, so th- there's a lot of there's a lot of times you you kind of look at a situation and think, well, this is going to work. This is going to make sense, uh, and it just doesn't work out the way you anticipate. You know, I, I I think Josh McDaniels is always a you know top candidate because people look at his offense and say, wow, he could call plays, he can find production, he gets the most wherever he goes. But for whatever reason, it didn't work, you know, during his time there at Denver. And, you know, he's been selective with what he wants to do next because I think he, you know, he realizes you only get a couple shots that have in the NFL. You know, after the second time, you're, you're very, very lucky or fortunate if you get a third. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's tough to be able to predict because there's so many variables. I mean, look at if you're a head coach in Cleveland, which they don't have their head coach, but whatever Jimmy and D Haslam are selling you right now, a year later, they could be telling you something else. I mean, we saw that in 2013. We saw that last year with, with Freddie Kitchens. Um, and so it, a lot of things can change. A lot of things can impact, um, you know, your ability to be able to actually win football games and be successful. Brady, let me ask you this, sort of talking about all the coaches. I like Matt Rule from the outside looking in. And actually on paper, I like Joe Judge from the outside looking in, knowing nothing about him. And here's why. I feel like they have the ability to be CEOs. And I think we've seen in recent years – maybe even longer than that, that you need to be more of a CEO than an X's and O's guru as an offensive or defensive coordinator in order to have success as a head coach. How do you feel about that? Is it more important to be able to manage people and delegate that authority to your assistants, or do you have to be Andy Reid and know every single thing that's going on offensively, for example, in order for your team to be successful? I think it depends on what your comfort zone is. Um, now, Andy Reid's done it long enough where this is his second uh, stand as a head coach, and so I think he's got a good handle on not only calling plays, and he has help with Eric Bieniemy um, and, and the other the other people on their staff. But I, I think the other thing is, is he's got experience being able to manage it all. If if that was your first time, you know, taking on a head coaching job like a la Sean McVay, where you're calling plays and trying to be head coach, that's a daunting task. But if you looked at his staff. Between Fossil and then Phillips, even though now he's not with the uh, organization any longer, he had guys who were experienced that they could control, you know, that phase or that particular uh, part of the team. So, you know, for, for as far as you know, what makes the most sense, I tend to always lean on like the best head coaches end up being the ones that just manage people and lead, and they understand how to kind of you know handle all of that what co- that comes with it. Um, I tend to think those guys end up having more sustained success, and they do a better job of building a culture. I know we talk about that a ton, but um, if you if you're always focused on scheme and your personnel putting them in certain spots and your opponent, you know you're, you're never really concerned with you know what is happening with some of the young men and, and what's going on within your team in all three phases. And sometimes you can let some things slip, or you can be ignorant to some things because you didn't have that vantage point. I think him stepping into the role that he's going to be stepping into as head coach and not necessarily focusing on too much on one side or the other. He can have that bird's eye view and be able to see things maybe before they even develop and stop them and correct them or get them the way he wants. So that, that, that's one thing that I think Matt Rule has in his favor, as does uh, Joe Judge, who obviously is going to have to you know hire an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, because that's just not his background. Um, even though he has coached on both sides of the football, um, but you know, I, look, I like the hire, and I think more teams should look at special teams uh, coordinators as candidates because. They, if you think about their job, what it entails, you touch both sides of the team as far as offense and defense. And on top of it, your your job is really predicated on situational football and situational awareness. How oftentimes do we hammer head coaches for not handling end-of-game situations very well or managing the clock or those scenarios? 
if you're a special teams coordinator, that's essentially part of your job, one of the key components. Being able to talk to the entire team, knowing what each side is really dealing with, but then also understanding the situation. So Joe Judge makes a lot of sense. Even though he's not very well known, he came highly recommended by Bill Belichick. Uh, and obviously he was a young coach who Bill Belichick delegated that task to, which is very seldom you ever see in New England. And then finally, he knocked it out of the park in his interviews with the New York Giants front office. I spoke to a couple of people that I know there. They were extremely impressed by him, so much so, is, is, which is one of the reasons why, even though Carolina got the jump on Matt Rule, I don't think the Giants were that upset considering the way Joe Judge handled things. And then also the fact that Matt Rule kind of rubbed them the wrong way wanting to take a vacation after the bowl game, not wanting to come immediately to, to interview with them and talk with them about the job more. Really? Yeah. That bugged him? I mean, I, I get, I understand why that would kind of bug them, but well, I don't supposedly mind your dream job. Wouldn't you think that after that game's done with, you know, maybe you then take a couple days off, not almost a week to go to Mexico and, and, and or you continue the conversations. I mean, I mean, we've got a vacation plan like at some point after the season. And if I bump it back for work related purposes, my wife is going to stab me in the face. So, I mean, maybe there's something that I don't know. Like I'll you put know it this mean? way. Jason Garrett was basically a dead man walking. He knew he was going to get fired. He still hung around and was politicking to try to keep that job because he didn't want to have to potentially go somewhere else to coach. So obviously that in a way is an example of it being Jason's dream job that he didn't want to leave. And you've got a guy who supposedly has his dream job lined up and the Giants maybe wanting to, to commit to him, maybe not to this extent of David uh, Tepper, but still he decided to go on a vacation. And, and look, that's part of who he is. You know, he's got balance. He cares about his family. Maybe you want to mull over the decision. And there's nothing wrong with that because much like we saw at the Colts and Frank Reich or even Doug Peterson and the Eagles, sometimes your first choice doesn't mean it's necessarily the best choice for you. Sometimes it works out better with someone else. Yeah, that's fair. All right, what about the the, the, the hiring season SZN, of course, as all the kids say, um, as a whole? Are you – because, you know, last year we sort of saw – I mean, there have there only been five – Hires so far, right? Or no, there have been four hires. How many hires have there been? I can't. Five firings, four hirings. Cleveland's right, still, still Cleveland. Four. That's right. Yeah. Um, two retreads in terms of uh, Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy hired. One stable college guy in terms of Matt Rule, and uh, then of course uh, uh, Joe Judge. Who, I mean, look again, a very different. I don't want to call him like a. I mean, he's a first-time coordinator hire, but it doesn't feel like. The, you know, like, all right, here's the best offensive coordinator of the year. Whereas like last year, it was such a clear, uh, a, like aggressive approach on offensive minded coaches, whether it was like Freddie Kitchens, Adam Gase, Bruce Arians, um, Cliff Kingsbury came from college, you know, Gase and Arians were, were retreads, but then you had Kitchens, Vic Fangio was defensive, Matt LaFleur, um, you know, Zach Taylor, uh, Brian Flores. I mean, like the, like, I mean, all those guys are offensive, but like a lot of young offensive minds or a lot of offensive minds in general. Do you see a trend here where it's like feels like after some people felt burnt by one year hirings that they're being trying to go a little more stable here? Uh, I think what we saw from the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores maybe played a bit of a factor on what you're seeing organizations do now where they just looked for, hey, who's the best candidate? Like, who's the best leader of men? Who's the best guy? to be the, the head coach of our football team. Let's not just make this about the quarterback position because as you see with Freddie Kitchens, for example, you know, continuity only goes so far with the offense and the play caller 
and and keeping him and Baker Mayfield on the same page. It really didn't benefit that team at all because they had other areas that they really needed to address and they didn't because they, they were so focused on keeping that relationship with Freddie and Baker. And it ended up being to some degree the demise of their season because Baker didn't have a good season. The O-line needed you know more attention, more love. The wide receivers never really got on the same page with Baker and the defense wasn't the way it needed to be. And obviously without its best player uh, for a certain portion of the season because he was taking other players' helmets and beating them in the head with it. So um, that that to me was like a glowing example of probably should be careful about putting too much weight or all your eggs in that basket, worrying about like the development of the quarterback. I mean, look at Sean McVay in this past year when they were like, ah, maybe this offense isn't that great if they don't have Todd Gurley working the way he needs to or the wide receivers are hurt. Then all of a sudden Jared Goff's not playing that well. Like maybe it's about more than just this position. So I think you looked at an organization like Washington, an organization like Dallas that said, we want a good leader, a guy who's got a built-in track record, he's got experience, we don't want to have to go through growing pains. We feel like we've got some pieces in place to build from now and not have to kind of worry about a what if. And then I think you see other organizations that uh, based it off of you know who they feel like is the best possible you know or potential candidate. And that also falls in line with the Dallas Cowboys and Mike McCarthy. He's got a Super Bowl. Um, under his belt, great win, you know, win percentage during his time in Green Bay. Uh, and, and now that we've gotten like a, a look at, by the way, Aaron Rodgers with Matt LaFleur's offense, I, I just keep going back to this. Like you look at the best five year span in Rodgers career. It's obviously with Mike McCarthy there. And so we can make whatever we want of, you know, them not winning more, but I think that's the move more with the team. And you might want to put more pressure on Ted Thompson for not doing more in free agency to supplement that team as opposed to purely sticking with the draft. Uh, and maybe handcuffing them at times, uh, as far as playing a, f- a factor in them not winning more. But my point is this. I think there's been a little bit of an, uh, a correction to what we saw last year. And now teams are looking for who they feel like is the right guy and not just the right guy for a certain position. Yeah. That's sort of what I was talking about earlier. And Brady mentioned leaders of men. And, um, that brings me to my favorite talking point when it comes to NFL things. Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott, baby. William and Mary, two great <laughs> leaders of men who aren't necessarily X's and O's guys. They're both defensive guys. But what they've been able to do, both in Pittsburgh and in Buffalo, is build a culture, have their players buy in. And I think that's more important. I think that's sort of what Brady was saying in part than having just the X's and O's guys. And I will give you a perfect example. His name is quarterback's guru Adam Gase. I don't think that's worked out for Adam Gase in New York. I don't think it worked out in Miami. And I don't know if he's head coaching material, even though he seems to be up 23 hours a day scheming up offensive game plans. Uh, another guy, and, and Brady's actually talked about this before, is Pete Carroll, who I think is 68 years old now. But Brady's talked about how excited it was just to, he, he made people seem about spring, uh, spring training, about training camp practices. And, and I feel like he still connects with those players and they want to play for him. And, and on some level, that's more important uh, than calling the right play at the right moment. I would agree with that. Um, all right. Anything else on the coaches? If not, we will move on to important matters, other trends around the NFL, namely Taysom Hill. How much money is Taysom Hill getting in free agency? This guy's an RFA. Or you actually, probably won't even make it. I assume, I assume that <laughs> he's an RFA. Um, he's not going to be a free agent. I know. I know. It's just a joke. I saw the best joke on Twitter was somebody's like, if Sean Payton had two daughters, he would force them both to marry Taysom Hill. Because <laughs> that's how much. I don't even want to get into the fact that he played at BYU either and like where that joke could go. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think this could be a copycat situation with Taysom Hill where more teams try and get like, like I I think I can't remember where I heard this either, but the comp is like, um, 
the athlete in uh in the in in like in NCAA the the video game where like you recruit somebody who's like an ATH like you're not a you're not a quarterback you're not a wide receiver you're an athlete and you can do that in college you don't ever see it you didn't ever see it in the pros but now there's a chance that this could it's got to be cat lead right this could happen maybe. <clears throat> It could happen. I think it, it takes one, a play caller who feels confident in his ability to, um, put him in the, in positions to execute and be successful. And then also a quarterback that, I mean, you could sell that to. <laughs> this doesn't happen in New England. Okay. And the funny thing is, is like Josh McDaniels drafted Tim Tebow to kind of play that sort of role, right? Like short yardage, goal line, some wildcat. And it was before his time, but, but it was also like, it was a different type of athlete, right? Like Tim couldn't run a 4-4 like Taysom Hill can. Taysom Hill ran a 4-4-40 at his pro day. Uh, Tim was like a 4-7 guy. Like it's like an entirely different athlete as far as what you're going to utilize him or how you're going to utilize him. So, um, to some degree he was effective, but like not like Taysom has been and in the way they've used him on special teams and as a receiver, as a running back, everything. So, you know, could you try to you know, mimic what they're doing? Of course, but that's what Baltimore is doing. With Lamar Jackson, the problem is those talents are rare. And as much as we want to look at Taysom Hill and how effective it is, it is in doses because he actually had a pretty bad injury history during his time at BYU. A lot of his seasons ended in injury. It was unfortunate. He was a heck of a player. Um, but since he's gotten in the NFL, he's, he's kind of found his niche. And that's great, but it's just, it's not very often you find those guys and you find a situation where you can really do it. So, uh, was he the best part of their offense this past weekend? Yeah, of course. Like he actually, I thought, you know, gave me more confidence in them being able to move the football when he was in the game than when Drew Brees was back there. So I think Drew maybe understands to some degree where he's at in his career. And Sean Payton and him have a trust where, you know, they know who the quarterback or QB1 is. Taysom Hill's kind of that changeup. I just don't know how many scenarios that, you know, you really feel like you could do that with because if, if Taysom Hill goes in and your guy's not a solidified starter, like let's say this is Chicago. I mean, at some point, you have people clamoring just for the guy to start in general over Trubisky if he's not, you know, uh, you know, warranting like being in there enough. So I think it could create a little bit of a distraction or some confusion there, even within the locker room to some degree. And that's obviously not the case with the Saints. Uh, I have a comp for you, Brady, and um, tell me what you think. Uh, you're right. I just looked it up. You're exactly right. Taysom Hill ran a four four at his pro day, thirty eight point five vertical inch, which is bonkers. Uh, when I watch him and I watch this other guy, I'm reminded of Taysom Hill a little bit. Jalen Hurts. I don't know how fast Jalen Hurts is going to run, but he can obviously throw. He can run around the pocket. He can run like, uh, you know, he runs more like Leonard Fournette, I feel like, than, than Taysom Hill. But he is a diverse sort of skill set. He ain't a starting quarterback. He's probably not a first or, or second day pick. And you take him in the in day three and take a flyer on him. The situation, as you sort of point out, has to be right. It has to be perhaps something where the quarterback is – Two or three years left in his in his deal. He's um, maybe he's in his late thirties, early forties. Those situations are rare, obviously. But a, a change of pace quarterback who can do more than than just run uh, quarterback sweeps left and right, but can also obviously throw the ball and, and be a dynamic playmaker. I think my only concern with him is how big is he compared to Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill's a big dude. Uh, I want to say Jalen Hurts is probably six two, two twenty five, and I would be willing to guess that Taysom Hill's. Maybe about as tall, a little taller, and probably 245, maybe closer to 250. Um, he's a pretty big boy. He's pretty thick. So he can take some of that wear and tear. And, and again, the difference is, and something that we like don't pay attention to enough, is Jalen Hurts going to play wide receiver? Is Jalen Hurts going to play on special teams and be willing to do that? You know, a guy who's been incredibly successful during his college career, 
as aspirations of being a quarterback. That's why he went to Oklahoma is to prove people that he can be. Uh, so if that's the case, is he going to be willing to sell out and then play all those roles and be kind of this ATH for an NFL team and taking up basically multiple positions with one roster spot, which is incredibly invaluable. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be willing to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it takes a hit to your pride and your ego um, to kind of check that at the door and be willing to kind of sell out really for your team. And it's not like, again, there's a high price tag that comes along with that. All right. I like it. Great draft discussion. You know what we're going to have after the break? More great draft discussion. Tua Pungvaloa. He's gone. He gone. He out. I like saying his name correctly. It makes me feel a great sense of pride in my work. Um, and Ryan Wilson has a mock draft. We will talk to that. We'll talk about that as well. Coming up after the break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back. Brady Quinn Football Show. Pew, 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 pew. I don't know why I did that for the break. I liked it, though. Tua Hungvaloa. Every time I feel good about myself. It's unbelievable. Um, I can't wait to – Ryan, can you spell Tua's last name right now? T-A-G-O-L-A-I-V-A. Is that right? I think that's right. There you go. Judges? Yeah, look at that. All right. Oh, oh I missed the last oh. one. Sorry, Ryan. It's a good job. That was close. It was close. Uh, so, Tua declared – I saw, um, I think it was Peter Burns of ESPN who, and I like Peter, he's a good dude, but he works for the SEC network, so he's like inherently just very, very deeply biased with the SEC, and I, I mean, come on, you can read the tweets, like, it's, you know, you're paid by the SEC network, whatever. Um, he was pointing out that Tua could have made the smart financial decision to return to school. Um, that would have been insane. Like, this is the move, Brady, this was the obvious move, right? Yeah, I think it was the obvious move. There, there's also the move where you could have just not gone back and played and just sat out and trained and rehabbed and then gone into the 2021 draft. Like, I honestly feel like his film was good enough over the course of his career that he really didn't even need to go back to Alabama uh, to prove, or I guess if the reason why you're going back to Alabama was to prove that you can make it through a season healthy, it's, it's not like you're going to get rid of your injury history before that. You're only going to put yourself more at risk. And it's not like you need the additional tape. Like his tape is phenomenal. You know, he's uh, arguably still looked at as, as maybe, you know, that, that one B quarterback to Joe Burrow based on his tape this year. I actually think you could make this statement and it'd be accurate. Tua Tonga has been more consistently playing at a high level throughout his career at Bama in comparison to Joe Burrow. 
Like your biggest question about Joe Burrow is what he did last year compared to this year. You know, you watched, you know, Tua Tagovailoa this year, and I think some of the off games you saw from him, it was more of a product of the fact he's playing banged up. But, you know, playing on a, on a surgically repaired ankle sooner than he should have been because he's a warrior. He's awesome. And, but, but also, you know, at times he dealt with a wrist injury in his career, had another ankle injury in his career, and obviously hurt the hip that ultimately ended his career at Alabama. But, um, he's, he's got all the tools and intangibles, man. The quick release, uh, the ability to throw at every single level, the type of football you need to. He anticipates extremely well and he works through his progressions and moves well within the pocket. So he, he really, to me, looks kind of similar to like throwing motion, a left-handed Phillip Rivers, but it's prettier because he's a lefty. But the way he moves within the pocket, uh, more of a, a Russell Wilson in that sense, as far as his size and stature is not quite as thick. So, uh, Ryan's got him drafted at, at the number five spot to the Miami Dolphins. It makes a lot of sense in my mind. And, and what, what a season, by the way, to be able to not be the worst overall team and still get the prospect you're hoping for if he can heal and recover and be back to the, the tour that we would expect. So Brenton, I'll put this to you and then Brady can obviously answer as well. Is there any conversation if you are, um, the, uh, the Washington Redskins yes. where you're uh, in a, you would trade out of that pick? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I would. Um, I think that there's, so I, this is shaping up to be a really, really fascinating draft to me because there is, I, I think Joe Burrow, things can change between the end of the regular season and January 6th and, uh, you know, April 23rd, which is, by the way, my wife's birthday. Be in Vegas. See you, honey. Um, as you see, FanDuel has Joe Burrow, uh, minus 1150. Those are enormous odds to go number one. That is, uh, that is the equivalent of the Patriots be, that's like the equivalent of Patriots preseason AFC East odds, uh, before we found out that the Patriots are trash. Um, so I, I like, I think Burrow will be one. And if I'm the Redskins, if I can get some kind of RG3 light type of package, the way they gave up to, to move out of that spot. So someone can go up, come up and get to it. Number two, I'm absolutely doing that. Same thing goes for the, the, the lions who I think at least will be in a discussion to potentially even take two at number three. I love Matthew Stafford. I'm not dogging on Stafford. I think he played great last year before he got hurt. Um, he has a huge contract, so maybe it's not a viable situation. But maybe you draft Tua, and maybe you extend your livelihood as a coach if you're Matt Patricia or a GM if you're Bob Quinn. Um, or maybe you trade out of that spot and try and pick up a bunch of picks. I think both those teams are well-situated to trade out. And, Brady, I don't know how you feel, but I absolutely think they should consider it if the package is good enough to move down. Yeah, no, it's all going to be about the, the package of picks. You know, if it's warranted based on, you know, the, the skill that they use for all that and probably, um, getting a little bit more in, in, in return for the compensation Ooh, of those picks. Time. Yeah. I mean, it would depend. Again, I'd have to look at the scale and, and, and see which most teams work off the same scale now. So that's why we see a lot more trades in the draft as it is. I'll Wait, say hold this on. A, Just a, sorry. Can I follow up on that? Yeah. Do go you ahead. think that what's, do you think it's a custom scale that new team? They're not working off the Jimmy Johnson trade chart anymore, right? No, they, they, to some degree they do, but like they all pretty much have their own like interpretation and valuation of it, but it's pretty close. And that's why when, again, when you see someone's action, so many trades like that, Jimmy Johnson scale really paved the way for every organization to have some sort of scale to base it off of. And then what they came to realize was, well, if all our scales are incredibly off as far as how we value it, we're never going to be able to have much movement of some of these picks. 
and I think a lot of you know coaches had some discussions about it, and they've come to somewhat of a similar agreement to really it being probably closer than more most people realize to Jimmy Johnson's skill in the first place. So um, that, that's kind of how they view it now. But it's going to be about that compensation. Detroit's the interesting one. I'll say this about Patricia and Bob Quinn. Drafting a rookie quarterback is not going to help you save your job. You know, we saw, for example, with Mitchell Trubisky going to Chicago. Fox then played him. They they really kind of, you know, allowed him to just inch his way in there slowly uh, with Dow Loggins as the OC that year, and it didn't save their job in the end anyway. And there's other examples of that as well. Um, we kind of saw that with Steve Wilkes in Arizona last year with Josh Rosen. He still got fired. Um, you could make some other cases too. Um, you know, so it – that's not a winning strategy. I think if you feel like Matt Stafford's back isn't going to be able to hold up and you, you want to move on from their contract and all that, then it might make some sense. But otherwise, I think you know you trade back if you can with someone. Maybe it is the Dolphins at five just so they ensure they get them at him, him at three because they have that draft capital to do so. Hmm. Where I, uh, I was going to ask, I was going to ask you, I was going to throw out a your response to that, but B also like, do you see other? Like, what's the furthest you see? What's the floor for Tua right now? If you're you're doing your mock drafts, you know, you try to have some construct of where, how far you would drop him. What's your floor, Ryan, for where you would drop him? Uh, yeah, I've, I actually thought about that a lot because because <laughs> that's all I do. Yeah, it's not uh, in there. <laughs> uh, he's we don't know how healthy he's going to be, and we're not going to know. I don't think he can throw for another month and a half, two months, maybe. And we saw him at the bowl game last week against Michigan. He still had one crutch limping around the sidelines. So there is a long way to go. But if we assume that he's going to be healthy, let's say he's 75% in August and he's going to be 95, 99% a year from now and he'll be ready to play in 2021. Then yeah, I think if I'm the Dolphins, I take him at five, but let's say there's some uncertainty. He could slip to six where your guy, the Chargers pick. He could slip to seven where your guys, the Panthers pick. And I could see him potentially, and this is something that I'm interested in. Let's say he gets a 10 or 12 or 15. What if old Billy Belichick at number 23 there starts making some moves? We know he's tight with, with uh, Nick Saban. We know he likes to draft Alabama players, and he hires Alabama coaches. What if he made a move for Tua with the understanding that he'll play in, in 2021 and you don't have to rush him out there and you can you know be guaranteed that it's going to be 80% of what he was? I wonder if that's something they think about because I think there was a report that he loved Baker Mayfield. Um, I don't know how serious it was in terms of trading up for him. He went first overall. But if someone like Tua slips, I wonder if that would cross Bill Belichick's mind in terms of a, a plan B after life after Brady. Brady? It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> the problem with, with, you know, Bill obviously is going to be the one making the decision in the draft, but in regards to what's sitting there at their quarterback position, I think it comes down to Robert Kraft and Tom Brady. If Tom Brady wants to be there, Robert Kraft is, is going to do whatever it takes to, to keep him there, I think. Because uh, we've already seen that battle before, right? You know, Jimmy Garoppolo ended up getting traded for a second round pick. Uh, Tom Brady won over Bill Belichick in that whole battle. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think if Tua does slide, like, I don't think he slides out of the first round. Uh, I think because of the injury, uh, teams would maybe want that fifth year option to not have to rush him in at all. Maybe he gets a redshirt year, his rookie year, and then doesn't play till the second year. Um, and, and so they, they have the ability to keep him for that additional year for that reason. It's really going to come down to, you know, if a team has multiple picks and they're drafting in that spot or the draft capital to do so to trade back up to get them, uh, but also just their medical evaluation. I mean, it, it's so hard to predict, you know, what, what their evaluation is going to be of this injury. One thing we know for sure is it will be degenerative to some degree. We don't know how, what that means, how long he'll be able to play before, you know, gives him issues. 
Uh, but I think it's fair to say that. And then it's it's fair to say, like, if, if you're a team that wants to be competitive right now and then want to draft him in the first round and play him right away, he's just not that guy. He's, he's not going to be that guy that is going to be able to be ready when they, they need him for OTAs and minicamp and be 100%. You know, so you got to have a, a quarterback in place to really start the season. And then maybe at some point as he's coming along, you want to get him in there, get him some reps, get him some playing time. So um, it's, I can't see him falling out of the first round. So I'm going to say, you know, his floor is 32 uh, I really, I realistically think he'll go somewhere in the top ten. Uh, here's the thing, Brady, and I agree with you about the first round. But I, I talked to someone close to the program yesterday, and they said one of the issues with Tua leaving is they couldn't sort out the insurance policies that they were going to try to get him if he decided to come back. I know you're frowning, but here's the thing: whether that's true or not, the reality is if the medicals come back and and they're crap, he ain't going in the first round. I mean, there's a real there there's a realistic chance he falls out of the first round. If they come back and say this is really degenerative, this is an issue starting not 10 or 12 years from now, but starting two or three years from now. And there, I got the sense that he was, wasn't necessarily 100% certain he wanted to leave. Um, but obviously he, he sold that and maybe he feels that way now. But I, I do wonder, because some of those LM players came back and, and it was some, some surprising, some less so. Um, so I do wonder where the medicals are going to come in. If they come in not great. And then we'll be questioning, well, why did he come out? Well, I think that's part of the research he did over that period of time. It wasn't just about the insurance policies, right? Um, it was also about, you know, him trying to figure out, like, if he's going to make this, take this risk, um, is there going to be a suitor there for him? Now, it's not easy, like, for example, you know, different situation, but kind of similar, right? So Kyler Murray gets drafted, what, number five or four overall last year in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. So he had like the ability to basically just go play another professional sport. And then he's trying to figure out, okay, like, should I even, you know, go into the NFL draft? Uh, because I've got this other great opportunity out there. And the difference is obviously it's, this isn't a health issue, but it was like more of, all right, what were some of those factors that played into his decision? I don't know. Maybe the fact that Cliff Kingsbury knew him. I mean, he became the next head coach for the Cardinals who had the number one overall pick. And so I'm sure he was reassuring him like, no, 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 no. go play football. I promise you, like, you know, it's going to work out. Like you're, you're going to be in the first overall pick. Uh, that's why they hired me. So it's a little different in that case. Like there's not as many reassurances for Tua Tonga-Vailoa taking this step. Uh, one thing I would just say in, in regards to like the whole insurance policy and then even sorting that out, uh, because you now have an injury and, and you're right, they, there probably wasn't going to be someone who was going to underwrite it for any sort of significant amount, whether it's loss of value or uh, just in general, if you were never able to play again. Uh, I had both of those policies coming back my senior year. And, and so I really never had any bad injuries at that point in time in my career. So those policies, though expensive and you pay out of pocket for them, um, had I, you know, dropped because of an injury, I would have been paid. Different story if Tua hurts that hip again. You're right. However, again, why would you even want to go back to school again and risk that or adding another injury to that list? Cause that's something that you just, you're going to have to get over regardless. If you draft him, you're getting over the ankle surgeries. You're getting over the hip injury and you're saying like, we see him on the other side of this working his way out, much like the Dallas Cowboys did with Jalen Smith. Now, granted, that's an example of him dropping into the second round. Um, but, but, but that's just how this game works. I, I think you're going to get varying medical opinions. You're going to get people who feel comfortable with them and people who don't, and he's not on their board. You just have to hope that that team that feels comfortable with them is obviously going to draft a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, imagine going back to school and tearing your ACL. Like you're, you're off 
60% of boards for NFL teams if you suffer another injury, like you go back and you suffer another major injury? Is it like, I thought the injury this year was kind of fluky, wasn't it? Am I? It was fluky and even more so than that, he was already playing on a surgical repaired ankle. Yeah. That he really didn't need ankle surgery for. It's just a procedure that they've done a lot there in Tuscaloosa and they wanted, and they wanted to rush him back to get him back sooner than later. So instead of waiting four to six, you know, you try to come back in, in three weeks, which is kind of rushing it after a surgical procedure, right? Yeah. And, um, they wanted him ready for that LSU game. Turns out, whoops. He looked, so he, like he looked, he looked worse and worse in that game the longer he played, like it was bothering him. So there's no doubt, you know, that, that probably played a factor in, in just him not even being able to scramble far enough away to get away from the rush. Yeah. Um, he got hurt after the LSU game there, right? No, he got hurt. Um, in oh, the, yeah, the hip was the week next. That's right. Was the next week? Yeah. 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 That's right. Cause he didn't need to play the next week. That's right. Right. Yeah. When he was in there in the third quarter of a blowout and like say, Saban was ready to pull him, but two, uh, two weeks after second quarter. No, no, second it, quarter. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was watching in my living room and like you saw it and you're like, Oh my God, that's really yeah, bad. The worst possible thing that could have happened did happen. Yeah. Yeah, and it looked like he'd like lost, broken his nose and like lost a bunch of teeth. There's blood everywhere and he could lay on the ground. But I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's just unfortunate for the young man. I like, I, there's a no brainer. You go to, you go, you go pro. How does this affect the rest of the first round? We'll get out of here on this. What does this mean for Justin Herbert, for Jordan Love? Um, there's some crazy Oregon fan who watched this video, watched <laughs> last, uh, two, three weeks ago and, um, He's like, I'll bet you and Wilson and like tagged us. He's like, me and so and so will bet you any amount of money you want to put up. You pick the number that Justin Herbert goes in the first round. And Wilson's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this guy accused Wilson of backtracking. I was like, let's just bet him a dollar. Like, <laughs> like who cares yeah. if we win or lose? Like, F you. We'll bet you a dollar, bro. What do you want? Put it up. I mean, he's going to go in the first round. I think you actually, think so? yeah, Ryan and I have talked about that all along. Now, like, uh, we, Ryan's put out mock drafts where he hasn't, but. You know, we, we've talked about that. Like we both have said, like he'll go in the first round. At least I, I definitely think he will. I think he'll go top 20. Uh, I would yeah. have a hard time seeing him get outside the top 20. Um, the, the one that Ryan's got in this mock draft now that I don't think will go will be Jordan Love. And there's no doubt that if you're in the quarterback market and Tua wasn't coming into this draft, Herbert would probably go even higher. Like if you're the Miami Dolphins, you really are taking a long, hard look at Justin Herbert. And if you pass him up the first time, maybe he's there for you the second time around. So, um, when you look at this draft class, you look at all these guys, you know, Jake Fromm is yet, you know, yet to declare. I don't know that going back to school really helps him make a case more so other than maybe it's, it's a less competitive year of guys that he's stacked up against. Uh, I think it'll go Burrow, Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, Easton and Love, I think will be somewhere in the second round. Uh, and then you're looking at potentially a Jalen Hurts somewhere in the, you know, third, fourth, fifth, depending on how a team looks at him, how they're planning on using him. So it, it'll be interesting to see. Hey, Brady, one thing you can't see on this mock draft, and I want to point it to your attention since you spent the last two hours dunking on me at various points. Number 23, the New England Patriots are taking your boy, Cole Komet. I did notice that. I wanted to talk about it. <clears throat> you know, he talked about having a second round grade when he submitted his name in because he still has an additional year of eligibility and there was some thought that maybe he'd want to come back because he in books coming back um and, and and some of the other pieces but you know he is in my opinion the best overall tight end in this draft um he can block well he's good catching the football across the middle uh, he's got a good feel for the soft spots and zone coverage 
And, you know, he, he's going to be a mismatch. He can split out wide and, and he can still run and beat you a little bit. Uh, some people felt like at Notre Dame when talking to them, they really did feel like he was similar to Eifert, uh, in as far as his pass catching ability and route running ability. Uh, but, but not maybe as quite as fast. But then, you know, kind of like Rudolph as far as his traditional Y blocking tight end, but it could still stretch the field vertically. So kind of a combination of those two somewhere in the middle. Uh, but just, you know, one of those Notre Dame, you know, tight ends again that we're going to see in the league and could definitely find his way in the first round, uh, would make a lot of sense to the Patriots given what they missed out on. And you know how Tom Brady loves his tight ends. Uh, Komet would be a, a heck of a, a heck of a prospect for them. By the way. I know that like we're focused on the quarterbacks and I think the, this is a pretty good offensive line class. You know, you can sort of start to see the, the pieces come together. This is a loaded wide receiver class. It's ridiculous. I mean, I mean it is like you watch like CeeDee Lamb, T Higgins, Jerry Judy, uh, is it, uh, Henry Ruggs, of course. And then the, the kid from Colorado, um, LaVisca Chenault, LaVisca Chenault. Michael Pittman at USC. I mean, you could keep going. Like, there's Jalen Rager, who uh, Ryan had on his mock draft. I love that young man. Brendan Ayuk from Pete Prisco's alma mater, uh, ASU. Um, you're going to look at uh, – what's that? Devernay, Jefferson. I mean, those guys are two yeah. very similar players. Yeah, the, the kid from Notre Dame, Chase Claypool, I think, made himself a lot of money this year, too, with the way he played. So, like, like you you could keep going on down the line. There are going to be wide receivers that are – there's going to be absolute run on them in the second, third round. I just don't know how many you're going to take in the first round because, A, it's hard to evaluate these guys, how they're going to you know mix in and pan out. And then, B, it hasn't really worked out the past few years. And I think usually what you see is when there's scarcity at one position – the best players at that spot usually get taken maybe higher than they should. And, and then you end up getting the guys who are that really talented deep class. The volume of that group ends up getting taken in the second, third round where then it ends up being like a run on wide receivers and safeties like we saw last year. Yeah. We're like, although, I mean, I don't disagree with you on the economics and the value of it. And by the way, Debo wants us to point out that KJ Hamler also eligible for the draft. Um, yeah, Penn State. we are Penn State. Um, <laughs> When well, the Ohio State kids, I mean, KJ Hill is going to be a ridiculous yeah. slot, not not a first round, but second or third round somewhere in that ballpark. But does I, I feel like, and it's this is harder to say with the hindsight of seeing how AJ Brown played, um, you know how DK Metcalf played, uh, but it does feel like the top end talent in this particular class is maybe a little bit more. It's not like A.J. Green and Julio Jones or anything, but like Jerry Judy and T. Higgins and C.D. Lamb. I mean, like one of those guys could – a couple of – like two of those guys could creep into the top ten if needs arise, right? Yeah, I don't know how fast T. Higgins is. And one of the things is we're breaking down the national championship game and looking at, um, you know, for example, what they do at Clemson compared to what they do at LSU. Not a lot of versatility there from him. You know, really, if you look at Justin Ross and T. Higgins, both those guys primarily – and when I say primarily, I'm saying about – let's say 70 to 80% of the time are, are basically outside and they're isolated and they try to work to them either deep downfield or isolate them on that side of the field in one-on-one matchup. Um, and in comparison to like, for example, LSU receiver, like a guy like Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson plays a lot in the slot. He will play outside every once in a while, but then he'll also play deep inside of the number three receiver spot, almost like a tight end. And so there's a little bit more versa- versatility within their, within what he can do and what he can run and what he's done so far. So, um, it, these guys are going to be so hard to differentiate between, you know, it is going to come down to like their performance at the combine, like how fast they run, what their measurables are and all that. 
probably to help some of these organizations and these front offices make decisions between, you know, guy A or guy B, just because it's such a talented, loaded class. Uh, but I think Ryan's got CD Lamb taking the highest. Like that's the guy to me that stood out all year. Like, yeah. I don't know if he'll be AJ Green or Julio Jones, um, because he's not quite as big, but man, watching his just start stop ability, his overall explosiveness, the way they can move him around, he can run and his hands and footwork. That young man's got it all. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know what? The next time we do a, uh, BQFBS or whatever we call this thing, PCP, BQFBS, uh, will be January 14th. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you guys, what do you, how many points do you think Clemson will beat LSU by? Uh, let's see, negative, uh, six. Ooh, that, that, that would be right on the spread. The spread is LSU minus six over under 69. What, uh, I'm what taking the over on that and then I'll take, uh, I'll go ahead and lay the points with LSU. Wow. Okay. I saw a five and a half today, by the way. It's bounced around from five to, it's never gotten up to seven. At five uh, and a half, I feel comfortable taking LSU. If it gets higher than that, like if we start getting into the like seven and a half, Definitely not. Um, I don't even know if I feel comfortable with six and a half. Like I, I just something tells me it's going to be somewhere around that. Like I don't know. I, I think. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I like LSU. I mean, this is not even. Is this the best team they faced all year? Maybe, but I mean, they've dominated every single team they played. They play in the SEC. I feel like Joe Burrow is legit. And Pete and Brady were talking about this on the on the. HQ show, what if Joe Burrow lays an egg? I don't think no one – he could go out there and throw 10 interceptions. I don't think anyone would care, but I don't expect him to do that. I think he's he's going to have a really good game, as he's always done. And I, I feel I think they cover. If, uh, if, interesting stat real quick, if you just want to look at the two quarterbacks, right? Um, so one thing Clemson does a decent amount of is bring pressure. Uh, Joe Burrow this year, and this is off the top of my head, he's thrown 19 touchdowns, I want to say to like one or two interceptions, and he's completing 74% of his passes – Versus pressure, just absolutely ridiculous. So if they if Brent Venables tries to bring pressure, uh, Joe Burrow's going to know what to do with the football. And then on the flip side of that, Trevor Lawrence versus man to man, completing a little bit above fifty percent of his passes this year versus man to man. And then really, if you go back to the Ohio State game because they play as much man to man as anyone in the country, he was three for eleven, took two sacks, only completed twenty seven percent of his passes. It's one of the reasons why you saw him running the football more. Uh, who's the guy who got tossed? Uh, Sean Wade. Yeah, yeah like, back. but, but, got- but the reason why that's important is because LSU plays the, the third most. So Ohio man. State plays the second most man to man. LSU plays the third most in the country. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I, I'm not, I mean, like I've heard, I've heard, I'm not, I've heard people say that and mention it. And that is certainly a concern. I do like the fact that Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence had multiple weeks to repair. I do like the fact that they're considered underdogs in this. Um, I do think, I look, I, I think most people are going to pick LSU to win, right? Six they're the favorite. Spread. They're the favorite. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Dabo's playing off that too. And all you other, you know, Carolina, you know, homers, you know, there. I'm not, I'm not a Clemson honk or anything. Um, I will say that I know, uh, Darren Ravel, he of Bengals jersey fame, uh, said, reported on Tuesday, I think that somebody put a $200,000 bet, two, two, $200,000 bet or a hundred thousand and then 90,000 
one hundred thousand on LSU minus five and a half, and ninety thousand on LSU minus six. So, by the way, uh, you know the Bengals can already start negotiating with Joe Burrow on that first overall contract. I mean, basically, once his eligibility is done, he can start doing that. Pete, by the way, is making a face at me through this window here at CBS Sports HQ. He's he's quite the character, this guy. Why don't you tell him to? Um, why don't you tell him to come in? Wave him in. I'm, I'm trying to get him to. Let's see if he comes. Yeah. He'll come in here. Reach the, the door podcast. Now? Come on. I'm not getting on. Yeah, get on here. No. Come on, here. 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 Just say hey, Pete. Just say Willie boy, quit taking cracks and making cracks about my 0 and 4 week, okay? I was awful. I admit it. I went 0 and 4 too. <laughs> he went 0 and 4 too, he said. Oh, okay. I went 0 and 4 We haven't mentioned it once. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, you at least admit to it. Will doesn't ever admit to it. Wow, he's really hammering himself right now. <laughs> some dude, some some guy tweeted us. Wait, hold on, Will, hold on. Will, were you 0-4 versus the spread and straight up? Because that's what people say. 1-3 against the spread, 0-4 straight up. 1-3 against the spread, 0-4. Yeah, he said you had a bad week too, but he was even worse. He lost it all. He lost everything. Every single betting place against the spread straight up, he lost them all. Well, there's some guy who tweeted at us and was like, I'm like, he's like, I'm taking the fade Brinson approach. He did a $50 money line parlay of fading my straight up picks. So he took 50 bucks on the Vikings. The Titan Brinson sucks. 50 bucks <laughs> <for> Vikings. <laughs> the, um, Vikings, the Titans, rep. the Seahawks and, uh, who, who, uh, and the Texans. And he won 1800 bucks on a $50 parlay fading my money line picks. I won the title in the league. Hey, Brinson yeah. sucks. Wilson said it the best. You heard it. I suck. Let's get out of here. Speak. My wife's going to say Vincent sucks. The same thing. See you guys next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.